heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Welcome everyone. This is Letty Medina and I'm uh, the host for this week's Healing the Whole Person. And I have a friend of mine, Diana Knight, in the studio with me. And Diana is a, a woman that I met a little over a year ago um, in, in a meeting where we were talking about healing ministry. And in the last few months, I've gotten to know her a little bit better, and I've heard little bits of her story of healing and God's grace in her life. And so I thought, what a great opportunity to have her on the show. So welcome, Diana. Thank you, Letty. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to be here. I know it takes courage to come and tell your story <laughs> on the radio, but as you shared with me that the Lord had made it clear to you in recent years that you are to go out and share what he has done in your life, right? Absolutely, yes. And who am I to argue with the Lord? <laughs> Don't argue with him. No. I've done that in the past. Not going to do it doesn't again. doesn't work very <laughs> no. well, does it? So why don't we start at the very beginning? Tell sure. us a little bit about your background, where you were born and raised, and how you were raised in the faith. Sure. I was born and raised in Chicago by two very strong Catholic parents, praise God. Um, I went to a Catholic grammar school. Um, however, because so I was informed that I was horribly catechized. I, you didn't have to inform me of that, but I was informed as to why I was terribly catechized is apparently from what I've been told from several priests is when there's a change in the church, so we were, this is post-Vatican II, I believe it's something like 20 to 40 years before there's an actual solid source of information and a solid source of teaching comes into play. So I was very horribly catechized, very, knew very little about the faith, but I could still always feel the Eucharistic presence of Jesus when I would be in the church, and I absolutely loved that closeness with God. And as soon as it was possible for women to be altar servers, I was I jumped on that boat. My best friend and I ran down to the principal's office as fast as we could to see who could sign up to be the very first one ever. And darn it, I was number two. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so you went through Catholic school all the way through high school or? No, I went to a public high school. Public high school. Okay. And did you tend to go to church with your family every Sunday? Was that pretty standard? Every Sunday, unless you're on your deathbed, you are going to church. Okay. Yes. Very good. Um, so tell us a little bit more then about your relationship with the Lord as you kind of got a little bit, you know, you say, I've always, I always loved Jesus, but you struggled a little bit with this idea of intimacy with him. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So I remember so clearly in my religion class growing up in this Catholic school that when we were being taught about intimacy, intimacy with God, you should listen for him. However, God only talks to saints. And you guys are not saints, so you don't ever have to worry about hearing from God. But that's okay, because if you hear from God, trust that the devil's not too far behind and you're going to experience a lot of spiritual warfare. So as a child, and I was raised in a very strict environment, so it was if an adult tells you something, you need to obey them and you need to believe them. So when I was taught this, it was, okay, I there's this all-loving God but he doesn't want to talk to me. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I love somebody, I'm dying to talk to them. Like, I'm dying to be in conversation Absolutely. with Jesus, right? So it didn't really make sense to me. 
And I remember marching up in church to the Sacred Heart statue, crossing my little five-year-old arms, you know, stamping my feet. If you love me so much, why don't you want to talk to me? (laughs) So then I kind of gravitated towards Our Lady, and we all know she gets us to where we need to be. Amen. (laughs) So you you kind of shared in this outline that, you know, you at that point kind of said, well, then why bother trying? Yes. That was that was where my head was at. Why why bother? If you're telling me and I'm trusting you because you're my teacher, you're my religion teacher, why would I bother trying? If you're telling me I can't be a saint, okay, well then I guess then I'm just gonna be normal, average sinner who is never going to grow and that the saints were made greater than we were. That's what I was taught. So even though I was taught about um, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and these incredible relationships they had with Jesus, I was taught that is not possible for us, which I soon learned was a lie. <laughs> okay. Um, so tell me a little bit, like like in high school, what was your faith life like? A little bit just about, were you going to church even in high school? Oh yeah, I was going to church every Sunday in high school, but of course, being a teenager, I was gravitating more towards my friends and what's cool and fashion and that kind of stuff. But I always somehow, by the grace of God, managed to keep a, keep a good life. And really, God's always been in my heart, and I've always wanted to do what's good and beautiful and true. And that's just always been in my heart, by the grace of God alone, because I wasn't running with the best crowds ever. <laughs> okay, very good. So you get through high school, and then what, what happened? What, where did you go from there? I went to college for a short amount of time. Um, I went to a junior college, and I was really into medicine. I love helping people, and I've always had it on my heart to help people. So I went to school pre-med. I wanted to be a physician assistant, And then I got the word that it's easier to get into these really hard colleges to get into if you're already a medical professional. So I went and got my EMT license. So I was an EMT for a while. And then to put myself through college, I was working at a health club where I was approached by a model scout from a very big agency. And she said, hey, have you ever thought of acting and modeling? I'm like, not really. And she invited me down to her office, and I immediately got working. And so it was, both are very, very demanding. So it was, okay, well, school will always be there. This opportunity won't. So I went that route. And from there, wound up in LA. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your move to LA. So Los Angeles drew you because you had gotten into this world of acting and modeling. What what kind of doors opened for you down in Los Angeles? Well, it was so funny. So here I was a big fish in a small pond. This is a, Chicago is very theatrical and very commercial, so you can get a lot of work here, easy breezy. So, but if you want to do um, theater, or I'm sorry, film acting, which is what I really wanted to do, LA is where you want to go. So when I went to LA, it was very very scuzzy. I'll just put it that way. The doors that were opening for me were strictly via casting couch, which I was not willing to do. Wow. Yeah. And so it, the stories you hear are true. 100% true. 100%. That's discouraging. It's mm-hmm. hard, hard to hear. Um, you got involved in a relationship while you were out there in Los Angeles. What? How did that go? 
Not so good. So I was managing a health club out in Malibu where I met this lovely gentleman who was wearing his Columbia College t-shirt. And I've always gone for like the more slick, rocker-looking guys. And this guy, I'm like, okay, a college nerd who has this fancy degree. I'm going to go opposite of what I usually go for. And it wound up at the beginning working out really, really well. Very charming person. He was always compared to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was a bodybuilder, by the way. So he was, he was, um, yeah, he was in the whole bodybuilding thing. Giant guy. He would always stop and get told how he looks just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Interesting. So that was always, yeah, that was always interesting. Um, we wound up dating for a long time and then eventually wound up moving in together. Okay. And how did that go over with your parents? <laughs> Surprisingly enough, my parents trusted me enough to come out of the other side of it unscathed. Okay, and, well, that's good. Yeah. So so you, you're in this relationship. You feel like you're in love with this man. He yes. seems to be, on the surface, maybe everything you were hoping for in a relationship. What, what went wrong? Oh, boy. So here he is with this Ivy League degree, right? Again, the exact opposite. Usually I'm dating rocker guys, and, I'm, you know, here's this clean-cut guy. I'm like, okay, yes, I've gotten my act together. This is going to be the guy that I'm going to marry, and we're going to have this clean-cut life. He was Protestant, but, hey, that's okay. In L.A., it's really like, thank God you're into Jesus, and that's it, that you're not anything else that's crazy because New Age runs rampant out there. So, you know, your 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 levels are a little low out there. You know, you're like, just as long as you love Jesus, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm cool with that. But soon, um, he wound up becoming, uh, he, he was in the Met for a while um, at the Opera House in oh, New York. Okay. And since he's this big muscle-building guy, there's an opera called Torendo where they're using sledgehammers. Okay. And the guy that was next to him accidentally hit his knee with a sledgehammer. Oh, my. And I bring that up because that led into him being put on extremely heavy narcotics. Uh. And he wound up getting addicted to drugs and more drugs and more drugs and alcohol. And he soon slipped into physical and mental abuse. But he apparently, it's he, he fit the exact mold of what an abuser is, which is very charming in the beginning. I mean, everything could ever want in a guy, and that's how they, it's called love bombing. So they'll just love you to death, you're the most perfect thing in the world, until gradually you're gaslit, you're crazy, and it just really spirals out of control from, from there. Wow. So your idyllic relationship went south very quickly. Very quickly. And um, obviously with the addiction playing into it, that became dangerous. It did. And that's actually one of the reasons I stood by his side is because he was kind of a little bit estranged from his mom and his dad. So he didn't really have much of a support. And if I were in that position, I wouldn't want to be left because I had this problem because, you know, it it is very biological as well, and addiction runs in his family. So I figured I could be there and help him to gradually get off of all the medication. But when I realized that there was just more and more and more medications that he was taking, I mean, it's a miracle he was living day to day on the amount of drugs that he was taking. And when I tried to slowly wean him off, that's when he got obscenely violent. Okay. And, you know, again, we know that there is a crisis in, in the country and probably the whole world now with uh, addictions like this happening because of 
narcotics and, and a variety of other drugs. And it's a, it's a terrible trap for people when you get into that cycle of addiction. It's very, very difficult to get out of it um, because of all the variety of things that are happening. Not only are you physically addicted, but then there's the spiritual component, right? Oh, of absolutely. The enemy wanting to keep you in a place of brokenness. Yes. And that plays into all of your story as well, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. It sure does. So so what happened? You know, did there, did you get to a crisis point or where did you go from here? Well, since he was doing work with the Met Opera House, we were in New York. He also had an apartment in New York. So we went to New York during opera season and this is also when he was trying to get off of, I think at some point he was on oxycodone, methadone, washing it down with vodka, and he was going through it very, very quickly. So I was going, my whole plan was to help him get through the withdrawal of it. And one night he went to sleep and I was taking care of his doctor appointments, trying to help him out. And I woke him up and the best way I can describe it was he went to sleep him and he woke up as the Joker from Batman. He woke up as a complete, entirely different being. And he just started wailing on me. And before that, it wasn't the first time he'd hit me. He'd hit me before. He would, I mean, like, he was a bodybuilder, and you guys can't see me. I'm 5'2", and I weigh 120 pounds. He was, you know, he's thrown me across the room before, and he's dragged me by my hair before. So it's not the first time, but this was a whole new level. This was a whole new level of violence. How frightening. It was terrible, yeah. And especially considering he's a bodybuilder. He weighed literally twice my my weight. Oh, for sure. Um, so at one point, you felt in danger of your life, not only just with the, the occasional throwing you across the room, mm-hmm. but, but there, be, there, there was a point where he, he held you hostage even. Yeah, so what happened with that was he was about to leave the house one day, and all of a sudden, something just triggered him. He turned around, and again, just the look in his eye wasn't him. And within seconds, he was on top of me in the house. I was on my back, and he had handfuls of my hair in his hand. My worst fear, I have long hair. One of my childhood fears was to have my hair pulled out, to be scalped in some way. And here he was, this giant guy on top of me, pinned down to the ground. I had no leverage to fight back. And as I'm looking at his face, um, I'm seeing him. I'm seeing the man that I love, and I'm seeing somebody who's no longer there. And I didn't, as weird as it sounds, I didn't want to fight back. I didn't want to hurt him back. I had no desire to hurt him back. So as I'm lying there, all I could think of was, this is how I'm going to die. Within seconds, I know I'm going to be flooded with blood and he's not in the right state of mind, and my parents will never know what happened to me. And then suddenly I heard this little voice in my head just say, scream for help and scratch his face. And that's exactly what I did. And his neighbor got into the apartment. Well, if you've ever been to New York, you'll know that there's about four to five locks on a door. So when his neighbor came in, all he kept saying was, it's not possible. That's not possible that he's here. It's not possible. He, he couldn't get over it. Wow. So I wonder who opened that door. God is good. <laughs> yes, all the time. So, um, so, so what happened after the neighbor gets in? I mean, so the neighbor gets in. He sees what's going on, and he calls the police. The police come. Um, they know that this is his apartment, so they help me to pack up my bags and they take me to the station, and they take my statement. And I was shaking like a leaf because at this point. 
if you're a man <laughs> in any form of authority, I'm going to be terrified of you because something that my abuser was able to do was to gaslight the heck out of me. And he was able, because tried, I tried to reach out to his mother and his family before to say, look, this is happening and I don't want it to escalate to this and I want him to get the help that he needs because I love him and I want to see him heal. Um, so I'm thinking at this point, nobody's going to believe me because they would turn it around on me and say I was the abuser. So I was afraid that that was going to happen with the police. Wow. And they did not buy that for a second. They saw they saw the truth right away and they filed a restraining order immediately. And that's when he came back to the house. Um, since I'm not living in New York, they said, OK, well, you're you're going to stay in the house and he can't come back to the house while you're there. He did. He came back within hours, and that's when he held me hostage. Oh, my gosh. And so during these three days that he held you hostage, what were your what thoughts were going through your head? I was paralyzed in fear. At this point, I know that he's capable of anything. I always say, if somebody shows you that they're willing to kill you, believe them. And he's he locked himself in with me in this 10 by 10 little bedroom area. He made sure that the shades were down and taped down so that I couldn't see any sunlight. I couldn't see the outdoors. He had the door chained and not even so much as a bathroom. And he told me I was not allowed to talk so that nobody could hear my voice. So for those whole three days, I'm thinking, I'm, this, is, this, again, is how I'm going to die. And he said the only way that he would let me go is if I called the DA to have them remove the restraining order. So, of course, I complied because I just want to get out of there. And the DA said, that's not going to happen. How do I know he's not standing there with a gun to your head oh my forcing you to do this? So, you know, the DA knows what he's doing. Oh. They, they've done this before. How horrible. I can't imagine the trauma. Yeah. The mental trauma, the physical trauma, all of it. Yeah. It was, it's very, very severe. Dark. Yes. Dark stuff. So how did you end up getting out of there? So one day, on the third day, as he's lying there sleeping, I just start praying. I'm like, I just, I need help. I don't, I don't know what to do. He's so much bigger than me, and he's already shown me that he can and will kill me if he needs to. So I looked real quick on, my, on American Airlines to see, could I possibly swing a last-minute flight? And I had just enough frequent flyer miles to get a flight booked for the next day. So I threw it out there. I booked it for the very first flight the next morning, and I wrote him a note saying, if you let me get on this flight, I will not press charges, and you will never hear from me again, and I will be out of New York, and you will be out of danger. Because if, he were, if the police were to have come back... Knowing that he violated that restraining order, he would have gone to Rikers Island immediately. Yeah. And also, I knew through prayer that if he had gone to Rikers, he wouldn't have healed. <laughs> he would have just become a more hardened criminal. And that didn't make sense to me either. So I just wanted to go home. And yeah. he, by the grace of God, agreed. And oh. I was out of there first thing in the morning. Praise God. Praise God. Wow. What a trial you went through. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I was really, you know, looking back on it now and knowing how the enemy works, I was so imprisoned by fear. I mean, the door was always right there as, I mean, just maybe five feet away from me where I could have tried to make a run for it, but I was just so paralyzed in fear that he's bigger than me, he's faster than me, he's stronger than me, he can outrun me. Yeah. And it just didn't seem 
it just didn't seem worth it. But yeah. I was just so paralyzed in fear and in so much captivity. Yeah. And I think that is a common struggle for a lot of people, right? That if we have any kind of trauma or threat threats in our life or brokenness, that a spirit of fear um, can keep us bound in a place of darkness instead of moving forward into the healing that God wants to give us, the freedom that God wants to give us. Absolutely. And it is definitely a tactic of the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. So what happened when you got home to Chicago? So when I got home to Chicago, I finally felt like, okay, I can breathe for a minute. I can just breathe. And I think he, I couldn't remember if it was his attorney that called me. And I, I, I'm a woman of my word. If I say, if you let me go, I'm not going to press charges. You can bet your house on the fact that if you let me go, I'm not going to press charges. So I kept my word and I told the attorney, just drop everything. Let the let the restraining order run out in its own time. And as soon as I got off the phone with his attorney, I put the phone down. And it was almost like I was responding to something that the Lord was saying. Because out loud, I said, okay, Jesus, you know what? I've been living my life the way that I want to live it, according to my rules. And it hasn't worked out for me. I'm ready to do things your way. And that was the beginning of a lot. I mean, two years after that, I was in so much darkness. I was horribly ill. I have um, an autoimmune disease from the trauma that my doctor said, with the levels that I'm seeing here, you've experienced some massive trauma. So I still carry that illness and migraines that go with it. So I'm still healing. But it was the beginning. That prayer just... Jesus standing in the room with me in that minute, offering me that hand, because that's what really happened that day, was Jesus extended his hand to me, saying, are you ready to do it my way? That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Were you living in fear when you came back to Chicago that he was going to show up? Oh, my goodness. So every single time the doorbell rang, I would run and hide, and I would shake. Like, if you've ever seen an ASPCA commercial with a dog that's shaking because it's just been so brutalized, that was me. Um, If there was an unknown number coming in, I would be horrified. Because also, when somebody is abusing you, they have an omnipotence to them. And why is that? Why is it that the abused feels like their abuser is God? Because they will track your phone he had put some sort of spyware on my tablet. So he knew everything that I was Googling. And at that time I was Googling women's shelter, you know, psychiatric, you know, uh, help for women who are abused. And even that was just surreal. Like how did my life even get to the point where I'm Googling this stuff? Yeah. You know, cause no little girl's like, hey, when I grow up, I'm gonna be a battered woman, Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know? So he and he would call and he's like, guys, you know, you're you're looking for this. Don't you even think about doing this? So it was still with the threats. So when he's knowing everywhere that I'm going and everything that I'm doing, and it seemed like he knew everything that I was thinking, it was horrifying. I lived in just complete and total fear. And I did not leave my room seriously for about two years. Wow. And so from this terrible trauma and tar- dark experience, you, you went into a state of depression. Um, we only have two minutes before the commercial break, but sh- can you share a little bit about that time of real depression and darkness? Sure. I just, um, I wouldn't let anybody in. And at, for some reason at the time, my family members that I got along with fantastically were being particularly cruel to me. And it just seemed like I couldn't escape the cruelty. And so that's when I began to think, 
I can't deal with this anymore and I want out. And that's when I genuinely, very seriously contemplated suicide to the point to where I knew how I was going to do it. I just had to get up the nerve to do it. Wow. And again, uh, suicide rates are on the rise. Mm-hmm. And I always look at that and I correlate that with um, the fact that so many people have kind of fallen away from the Lord and following him. And without that grace, uh, there's a lot of room for the enemy to work in our lives, right? 100%, yes. Yeah. So um, the beautiful thing about your story is there is a time of great resurrection, isn't there? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we just came through the resurrection on Sunday, right? Yes, we did. And, and it's one of my favorite things to talk about is how God comes into our brokenness, into our darkness, into our suffering. And he says, let me walk you to the light. Amen. Let me show you uh, how to, let me lead you into healing and freedom and all that is good, all that I want for you, right? Absolutely. Um, So there's so much more to share with Diana. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. A prayer for deliverance with Father John Grigas, the rector of the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe at Marytown. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we just ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to come down upon us, the intercession of Our Lady and of all the saints and angels, and we come against any influence of the occult or the New Age that might have infiltrated any of our listeners, their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, nephews, brothers, and sisters, and families, and we bind Satan and all of his minions in any way that have bound any of these individuals or their families in this occult practices, and we invoke Mother Mary, also in all the saints, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, I just break all bounds and all influences of the new age upon any one of our listeners, and may they be broken in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May He send upon them the grace of the Holy Spirit to free them, and may our Mother Mary place her motherly mantle to protect them and crush the head of the evil one, as she was promised to do so in Genesis after the fall. Amen. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Welcome back, everyone. This is Letty Medina with Healing the Whole Person, and I'm here in the studio with Diana Knight, and she's been sharing her personal story, um, a time of um, kind of a lot of darkness, a lot of suffering, a lot of trauma that you endured through a, a very broken relationship. And yet, as we said, God is a God of healing, God of miracles, a God of resurrection. And so, 
Let's start talking about how God came into your life after this time of great suffering. What what kind of got you back on track with the Lord? Sure. Well, so anytime that you decide that you want to change your life, that you want to go from this life of sin, right, to Jesus, to live a holy life, to really give it a shot, you know, the evil one's just going to come after you. Let's just be honest. He's just there saying like, no, no, you don't. So I started experiencing some extraordinary spiritual warfare, which led me back to going to church more often. And my pastor just happens to be an exorcist. And I was able to consult him. And he said, well, you know, I want you to come to mass every day and go to confession X amount of times. I hadn't even thought I hadn't been to confession in ages. So I had to relearn how to go to confession. And then going through confession, I had to realize too, in hearing what the priests were saying, you know, in response to me that I don't even know my faith. I don't know anything anymore. I barely know how to pray the rosary. So um, through different through different people, I was introduced to two incredible deacons. One is Deacon Keith and one is Deacon Lou. Um, and it was just the transformation just started in the way that they looked at me with love. And I wasn't used to that merciful love. And that that gave me a sense of safety, a sense of calm, a sense of... Jesus is here with me because when that when that crazy spiritual warfare starts to kick up it's scary Mm -hmm. and you kind of feel like maybe I've pushed God too far this time maybe Jesus is done with me because you know to be honest you have those thoughts coming back sometimes where you just have such darkness that you're thinking well maybe Jesus thinks I'm too much trouble now yeah (laughs) and that's that's not the case never Never. Never. Yeah. And so, I mean, what kind of got you, so you, you're, you're going through this time of depression, suicidal thoughts, a lot of, you know, uh, trauma that you're trying to work through. What got you to go back to church? Was it your parents that invited you back or was it friends or you just decided one day I need to get back to Jesus? Yeah, it was just one day I decided I need to get back to Jesus. Okay. I need I needed a starting point because I didn't know how to live life anymore. Okay. And the only starting point I knew was where I started my whole life. Which baptism, is, Jesus, amen. you know, the sacraments. So you were living with your parents and you started going back to the parish that you had grown up in or? No, this was an entirely different parish Okay, where I got to meet my pastor, like I said, who's an exorcist, incredible man, super holy man. And he was just, when he does his homilies, I mean, you feel like Jesus is speaking to you genuinely. How beautiful. So it is, it, it's very motivating. And then all of a sudden I'm wanting to be fed more. I want more. That's all I can, that's all I know at this point is I want to know my faith which I don't. And I want to know the scriptures because of what my pastor is saying about the scriptures and how his eyes would light up. Okay. I mean, he would just light up like a Christmas tree when he would talk about Jesus. And I'll never forget this. When I was sitting there in the pew, I looked at him and I said, Jesus, I want what he has. Amen. And when I looked at Deacon Keith, I said the same thing. I see a relationship with this man. I want that too. I'm putting in a tall order. That's beautiful. (laughs) How beautiful. Well, because holiness and people who are truly following the Lord, that's so beautiful, right? It's so attractive. Yes, yeah. That's what draws others to God. Yes. When they meet authentic people who are really following the Lord. And that's what happened with me is, you know, and that one person leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And 
just to see God shine through different people in different ways, they are literally lit up Amen. with God's glory. And how can you not desire that? Yes, it's it's life changing. So you started basically going through a conversion, right? Yes. That's basically what was happening in your heart. Your heart was being changed. It was being drawn to a deeper place of um, relationship with the Lord, a greater hunger for him. So you got involved um, with this prayer group, okay? So tell us a little bit about your um, involvement with Deacon Lou and his wife. And Well, sure. So I was recommended by Deacon Keith to this prayer group where they're praising the Lord and they're singing, you know, singing psalms and singing hymns. And it kind of felt like I was back in grammar school again with their little shaking of their maracas. And I'm like the youngest person there. And I'm looking around like, really, Lord, <laughs> what am I doing here? But, you know, I wanted to stick it out. And they were so sweet. And I just remember the Lord putting in my heart, these are the people you've been looking for your whole life. And he was right. How beautiful. He's right. Those are the people I've been looking for my whole life. And since they have a healing ministry, they were able to walk me through how to even begin to heal and that the Lord does heal and he's not absent. And something that I always thought was, when I die, I will know Jesus. When I die, I will know Jesus. And of course, one day in prayer, so clearly I heard him saying, you think that you're going to know me when you die. I am the living God. <laughs> Those words changed my being for all time. It Amen. was almost like he put an extra rib right in me when I heard him say, I am the living God. I'm like, oh, yeah, you are the living God. Okay, so you're here and I can get to know you. And that was such a huge turning point where, okay, so I can I can visualize you in the room next to me. And all of a sudden, he started... I don't know how he did it. I really genuinely can't tell you how he did it. But he just started to pull things out of me where I started telling him little by little all the horrible things that had happened to me and all of my disappointments and all of my worries and how could this happen to me? And were you there when this happened? And did you see that when that happened to me? And where were you when that happened to me? And I was just a mess. But as I'm telling him this, I'm realizing that he's keeping it. He's not letting me keep that hurt anymore. And then that opened my eyes even wider where I'm just thinking, are you kidding me? I could have been doing this my whole life. <laughs> I love that. And so, you know, you, you said a couple things I want to highlight. So you said that you kept thinking that you were going to meet God when you when you died and hopefully right. went to heaven, right? And so many people go through their lives thinking that God is so far away, that you can't have a real relationship with him. He's some distant God. He's not a personal God. He's only, you know, going to be there, like you said, after after we die. And that is a lie. That brothers, is the biggest lie. Brothers and sisters, that is a lie. And Diana's here to, to share that that is a lie. And she believed it, but God revealed the truth that he is near and he is present. And he wants to reveal his love in a real way to us. Each one of us, not just Diana, not just me, every single child is precious to him. Amen. And he wants to draw us into relationship with him. Desperately. Desperately. He wants to pour his grace into our lives, pour his love and his healing mercy into our lives. Mm -hmm. So what a beautiful thing that you came to slowly begin to encounter him. 
you began to uh, allow him to draw the painful stuff out of your heart and soul and keep it mm-hmm. so that you could receive more of the healing that he wanted to give you. Yes, and I somehow uh, received an image of divine mercy. And I'll never forget when I looked at it, it felt like he was drawing me into it. Like I just, my heart was just swelling with God's love every time I looked at it. So needless to say, I genuinely was thinking about wallpapering my room with the image of divine mercy. I'm like, okay, if I could feel this all the time when I'm looking at you where it's just, I'm in love with you. That's through the image of divine mercy. That's what our merciful Lord was telling me is I am in love with you and you are not broken and you are going to get through this. And it's just so fitting. And I didn't realize that until I was sitting here like, wait, we're coming up on Divine Mercy Sunday. Yes. And I am such a product of God's mercy, of Jesus's merciful heart, because I didn't deserve all of that. I mean, I had no, no, but he just showered me in it anyway. So beautiful. And that is that is our God, right? He just wants to shower us with his love and mercy. And for anybody who's listening right now who doesn't know anything about Divine Mercy, this Sunday is Divine Mercy Sunday. It's a feast that is very beautiful. Um, St. Faustina was given uh, many revelations by our dear Lord about his beautiful mercy and how he wants to pour it down um, on us. Um, look it up, read about it, learn it, uh, learn about it, and, and dive into his mercy because I'm telling you, it is a free and precious gift that he alone can give us, and it brings healing and freedom like nothing else. Mm-hmm. So you you get involved with this prayer group. First, you're like, wow, why am I here? Because it's kind of, you know, different. But then you started to learn how to listen to God. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So in in the prayer group, one of the things that we do besides just, you know, singing and praising God is just being in silence in this group, just being in silence, listening to what the Lord is trying to say. So of course, everybody's in this meditative state and I'm peeking with one eye open, like, what's everybody doing? (laughs) What are you guys doing? But then I'd have a Bible verse pop up in my head because I started reading the Gospel of John. And it was interesting too, by the way, because God used my vice to help me to get to know him. My vice was binge watching any TV show. He's like, okay, you like to binge watch? here's the Gospel of John on YouTube. And I started watching it, and it was the Catholic version, and it's incredible. And I just was falling madly in love with Jesus through the Gospel of John. And he was like, it was just a revelation of all of his promises. And I'm like, all of these promises are for me. Beautiful. (laughs) And so I was learning through the prayer group when they were coming out with different uh, Gospel passages and other people would receive the same gospel passages and the same gospel passage would pop up in my head. I'm like, oh, this is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works. This is one of the reasons, you know, this is one of the ways he's talking to us. So it's, I love that. So silence, right? Silence Silence. is key. Silence is is everything. And unfortunately, again, we're, we're living in a time where there's always noise, 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 either the TV's on, the radio's on, uh, you know, we've got all sorts of noise coming at us and uh, we need to learn to sit in silence and listen for the voice of our Lord. We do. Silence is everything. And I'll tell you something, too, is when he, when the Lord was revealing himself to me through the Gospel of John and through various other means, there wasn't a day where I didn't feel like I was winning the lottery in every state. Truly. I know. I felt like the most wealthy person on the face of the planet. Bill Gates, move over. 
there's me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's, you know, from scripture, your love, Lord, is better than life. Amen. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing more beautiful, more fulfilling, more rich than his love. And when he's flooding us with it, because we're sitting and opening ourselves to receive it. Yes. You are, your life will change forever. That's it's, it. We've heard this story over and over <laughs> from so many people. And, and you, whoever's listening right now, who has not yet experienced it, you are no exception. God wants to fill your life with his amazing grace. Amen and amen. Do not doubt that for a minute. So you're filled with hunger to know Jesus more. Um, you're, you're learning as much as you can. How did the rosary play into this? Did you, when did you pick up the rosary and start praying it again? So it was my penance my first time back. The, the priest is like, because I think it was something like 10 or 12 years that I've been out of the confession. He's like, pray a whole rosary. He was kind of mean, but that's okay. You got through like, it. I got through it. And then I started to, I think I started to watch documentaries on the rosary and of Our Lady and how the quickest way to sanctity was through the rosary, through Our Lady. I'm like, well, who doesn't want an easy path to, to, to go somewhere, especially to Jesus? You know, I don't know about everybody else, but I sure as heck want to be a saint, period. End of story. I was lied to as a child. I'm going to be a saint and my mommy's going to get me there. Amen. So it was hard. I mean, you know, when you when you don't ever pray the rosary and you pick it up, it is difficult as all heck. But I had by, you know, the grace of God, the discipline and the desire to do it. Yes. And now I'll do several throughout the day where it's just, it's just habit now. You can't, you can't get through the day without doing it. That's so beautiful. So you're, you're starting to pray more. You're going to the sacraments. You're praying the rosary. You're teaching yourself the catechism because <laughs> you wanted to really understand why the church teaches what it teaches. I did. It's, it's not okay to be ignorant of our faith. It's just not okay. Amen. And also, you know, when you're ignorant of the Catholic faith and of our catechism, the devil can play you really easily. Oh, yeah. So that that's also part of it. You know, again, when you're falling in love with Jesus, it's not like the devil's like, oh, yes, please, after you, go right ahead. No, there's all sorts of crazy things that happen, but it's worth it. You know, that's that's where we grow is through the suffering, is through the darkness. That's where we grow. Amen. Yeah. Um, and I know that now you're involved in teaching catechism. I am. What a beautiful thing that is. How long have you been doing that? This is uh, one year now. Okay. And it was pretty funny how that happened. I was in church one day and I thought, okay, you know what, Lord, I'm kind of feeling like you want me to get involved in my parish, but I'm not going to offer. If you have the religious director talk to me and ask me to do it, I'll do anything she asks me to. No kidding. 15 minutes later, this woman walks up to me and she (laughs) said, we can't help but notice that God's working in your life. Would you like to be a lector, a catechist? Would you like to teach our CIA? How about a Eucharistic minister? Would you like to? And, and I looked at the tabernacle. I'm like, Lord, you are moving really quickly here. And so, I, so I'm like, okay, well, that was my end of the deal. I said, if she asked, I would say, okay. So. Oh, that's beautiful. And again, brothers and sisters who are listening in, that is our Lord, right? He wants to draw us into um, not only a life of grace, a relationship with himself, but also to then turn around and use the graces that he's giving you to bless his people, bless his church, build up the church, right? Mm -hmm. So it all makes sense that you had, you were going through all this change, all this growth, all this grace-filled experience, and now he's like, okay, now it's time to start sharing 
the good news with others. Absolutely. And God bless my oldest sister. She she was my sounding board for everything. Anytime I learned something new about catechism or about the Gospels or about the Rosary or about Divine Mercy, I would pick up the phone and call her. So she was being catechized through my, my conversion, and now she is converted to much more deeper level of faith, and she's the head usher at her parish, which Praise we never God. thought. She was also out of the confessional for a really long time, and now... My godson, her her son, who's only eight years old, is now saying he wants to be a priest. Praise God. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you're going to daily mass. You're So you're just, you're in love with the Eucharist. Oh, my goodness. Jesus in the Eucharist. It's a little piece of heaven on earth. It yeah. just is. Of and it's course. so overlooked. <laughs> I know. And so how often are you spending time in adoration on average? So on average, okay, so the first, my conversion's been about three and a half years now. For the first two and a half years, okay, it's going to sound kind of extreme. It was like 20 to 40 hours a week oh my. in adoration. But it's like when Jesus reveals himself to you in the Eucharist, and I'm not, you know, I wasn't working at the time, so I had the time to sit there with him. And again, he's changing my heart as I'm sitting in front of Absolutely. him. And here's Jesus in the middle of the city why would I not want to sit down with him and love on him and just receive his love and his healing graces? He is the fountain of all good grace, right? He's, he is. So why wouldn't you? And I asked him too, because I was reading the lives of the saints and all of them just go on and on and on about the Eucharist. And I said, Lord, I want to know why these saints are in love with the Eucharist because I'm not getting it. Well, he made me get it. <laughs> he made you get it. Yeah. So still on average, I would say probably at least two hours a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Wow, that's amazing, Grace. It, it's He's amazing. He's beautiful. God is, <laughs> God is great. And so again, I would encourage the listeners, anybody who is not doing um, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, it is a wonderful um, opportunity that we as Catholics have to sit at the feet of Christ and to let him pour his grace into our lives so that we can receive greater understanding, greater healing, greater um, peace, joy, love, you name it. He pours his grace into us when we sit with him. And it's a, it's a precious gift to mm-hmm. be able to spend time with him face to face. It really is. So if you haven't tried it, consider trying it. And if you don't get it, I would highly suggest just ask him. Just go to him with childlike faith because that's, that's what he put in my heart is if I come to him as a, his little baby girl, He's not going to say no. If you're a parent, think about how what a great parent you are, how you love your kids. God loves us so much better than we can love our own children. So much better. Yes. Praise God. Um, so you you basically said that at, at, as he pieced you back together, and that's mm-hmm. a beautiful way to put it, right? That mm-hmm. you were broken and he's putting you back together piece by piece. You thought he would fix what was wrong with you. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about that perspective? Yeah. Well, my abuser had just dismantled me in such a way where I hated myself. I mean, Jen, I was thinking about committing suicide because I thought I have just failed as a woman in every single way that a woman can fail. I am a failure. And he would just nitpick on every little thing, things I used to like about myself, I now hated. Like, I'm very goofy. I laugh about everything. I'm just ridiculous. I'm a ridiculous person. <laughs> I'm the person who's going to pull a practical joke on you when you're not expecting it. Joyful is what I would Joy- call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he hated that. And I'm also very friendly. So if there's a stranger walking out down the hall, I'm going to say, hi, you know, I love everybody. And he hated that about me because he wanted me to keep my eyes down on the floor and just be his object. Yes. 
So I was expecting Jesus, as he pieced me back together, to make me into this perfect person that I thought I was supposed to be. And what, what shocked me, just to my core, and still does, is he put me back the way that I was. And just deep in my heart, he's like, I wouldn't change the thing. <laughs> and even more, as, I, you know, as I'm trying to, I'm like, okay, I want to be a saint. I want to be a saint. Again, in my heart, he just spoke, you think you know what a saint looks like, but you don't. <laughs> just don't mold yourself. Let me do it for you. How beautiful. And then here I am. You know, like, how, how often are we just so cruel to ourselves and we want to nitpick ourselves and we don't like things about ourselves? Well, those are many times the things that Jesus is going to use to glorify him. Amen. I love that. That is a beautiful way to um, kind of help people put in perspective things that we don't like about ourselves because we all do struggle with, mm-hmm. you know, um, self-worth and and yeah all sorts of self-woundedness right right and especially you know women you know i'm too fat here my hair is not this my my eyes are not that and one thing that god showed me is when he looks at us he's not seeing aging women or aging men he's not seeing you know a new wrinkle popping up on our face or cellulite on our thighs he's looking at us and he's seeing his little babies his perfect little precious babies and he desperately wants us to look at ourselves through those same eyes. Yeah, beloved children. Absolutely. So wonderful. And so, as is often the case, you've gone through all this healing, and now you're involved in healing ministry. Of course. <laughs> and so, do you want to share a little bit just about the joy of working in healing ministry? I love it because it gives me a chance to love my neighbor like we're supposed to, and it gives me a chance to just let God be God and work through me and love people through me the way that I was loved. It's a chance to give back. And because I've been in those horribly dark spaces that so many people are, I can be hopefully that light that loves them, that says there is an end to this. There is something greater that's going to come of this. And our suffering means so much if we do it the right way. So beautiful. Diana, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your powerful witness of of conversion and healing. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. I look forward to our ongoing working relationship in prayer ministry. And thank you to all the listeners for, for tuning in this week to Healing the Whole Person. And just remember, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is the divine physician. And he wants to bring healing to our lives. He does not want us to sit in dark darkness, hopelessness, uh, fear. Those are all from the enemy, and we need to run to him. He is divine mercy itself. Until we meet again, this is Letty Medina with Healing the Whole Person. been listening to Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. For more information about this program or to purchase additional CD copies, please call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Radio 